Okay, I'm Tim Snyder. It's the 20th of February, 2018. This is the latest of a series of these informal talks that I'm giving about current events, trying to give them some kind of a larger sense, trying to bring things that might seem separate together. What I'm going to talk about today is the Mueller indictment of Russian citizens and the Internet Research Agency in Petersburg, the Parkland, Florida shootings, and the release the memo moment of a couple of weeks ago. These three things might seem totally distinct, but in fact, what I want to suggest is that there's an underlying pattern that we should observe, and the pattern has to do with this, with first losing a cyber war and then being cyber colonized. So what I'm going to try to do today is walk through these very recent events and try to make sense of them, make a certain kind of sense of them, help us to see how what's happening in the unreal world of the internet is guiding what happens in the real world of our daily lives. And that's what I mean, by the way, by being cyber colonized, that things that are happening out in a world where no one cares about you are in fact affecting the things that you care about and the people that you care about. So let's start with the Mueller indictment. The Mueller indictment on its face is pretty simple. Uh, A bunch of Russian citizens were in the United States in 2016 working in effect as part of the Trump campaign, sometimes cooperating with the Trump campaign, but acting in such a way as to try to make Trump win. The way that they did this was by trying to figure out what the divisions were in U.S. society, what were the buttons um, in Americans to push, and then pushing those buttons. This worked to a terrifying extent, partly because we weren't ready for it, either as a society or as a set of law enforcement agencies, but also partly because we have buttons that can be pushed. So what the Mueller indictment means in the larger scheme of things is this. Mueller is talking about events which took place in 2016. What he's describing in his indictment is a very small part of a much larger campaign which worked to to alter the outcome of democratic elections in the United States of America. In other words, the Mueller piece, the Mueller indictment, is, is, is just a reminder of things that already happened. We lost the cyber war in 2016. The result of that is that Donald Trump is president of the United States. The sooner that we get that through our heads, the faster we'll be able to react, both in terms of recognizing our own weaknesses, by which I mean our personal as well as our political weaknesses, and the faster we'll be able to process what's still happening, what's happened in 2017 and what's happening now. So this Russian cyber attack, um, which is the right way of thinking about it, I think, this Russian cyber attack doesn't stop in November 2016. It, It just goes on. And one way that people talk about it is they say, well, they're just trying to divide us. The problem with that is the just. They're not just trying to divide us. Dividing us means we no longer function as a society. Dividing us means we no longer have a common language. Dividing us means that we spend more time actually talking to robots, talking to things that aren't real, talking to things that don't care, than we do talking to one another as Americans. That's a fundamental problem, and we have to have some sense of where it comes from. And where it comes from goes back to changes since the end of the Cold War. Let me just say a a quick word about how we have changed 
and how this makes us vulnerable. And then I'll jump back to 2018. So the, the Americans won the Cold War. Why did the Americans win the Cold War? Because in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, we were all still pretty much living in the real world. We spent most of our time with our eyes on the world rather than our eyes on the screen. Um, the Russians or the Soviets lost the Cold War because in the 70s and 80s, they were much worse than the Europeans and the Americans in affecting that real world, in affecting that three-dimensional world. In the 70s, 80s, uh, the competition between the Soviets and the Americans was much more about who can produce things, three-dimensional objects in the real world, which bring satisfaction and pleasure and which also bring jobs. In that competition, the Americans and the West Europeans easily won. Why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because way back then, the Soviets had a tremendous advantage in one part of the Cold War. It just wasn't the most important part. The part that they always had a tremendous advantage in was psychological warfare, was what they call, or we call too, active measures. Efforts to get inside the mind of the enemy, to use the weaknesses of the other side um, to, 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 in order to, to uh, implement, to further your own interests. They were always much better at that than the Americans were. Um, the CIA, the American Secret Services, were nothing compared to the KGB, the, the Gearu, the, the Soviet Secret Services in this. Um, the Americans, the British, the Europeans consistently lost on that front. But it didn't matter so much because the Cold War wasn't so much about perceptions. It was much more about a real world of producing objects and producing jobs and producing satisfaction. What's changed in the last 20 years is that we, by which I mean Americans, we spend much less time in the real world, and then we spend much more time in the world of screens. Um, according to a survey done last year, the average American spends more than 10 and a half hours a day looking at a screen. So by the way, thank you for spending part of your 10 and a half hours a day with, with me. Um, of course, what I'm gonna advise you to do is after you're watching this, just shut off the screen, don't do anything else. So we spend an average of 10 and a half hours a day looking at screens. That's most of our waking hours. That means we're not living in this three-dimensional world anymore. We're living in a different world. We're living in a world of cyber. We're living in a world where all of a sudden, emotions, psychological states matter more than the real world. When we're in the cyber world, when we're looking at a screen, we're being affected by direct attempts to reach to the parts of our brains, um, which have to do with happiness, which have to do with addiction, which have to do with the things that we already think with our prior, with our prior convictions. That is where we are as a society. So what happens in 2016, you know, abstracting away from all the details, is that the Russians win because of how we've changed ourselves. We're no longer so concerned with the three-dimensional world of the stuff that we make and the things that we enjoy and the people who are around us. We're much more concerned with this largely unreal digital world. And this largely unreal digital world has good ways of affecting our psychological states. So the Russians didn't change, is what I'm trying to say. The world changed. The world of technology changed. Technology is no longer about the Americans making the best cars, right? Technology is now about universally available um, tricks on cyber, which allow pretty much everybody to get into pretty much everybody else's mind. The Russians understood this faster than anyone else, and they used technology, which was largely created in the U.S., against the United States, right? That's the large outline of what has happened. So what does that mean in practice? 
In practice, that means that so long as we don't snap out of this, um, cyber warfare can change the real world. And it can change it in a, in a very interesting and specific way. It used to be that the nightmare in cyber what was, was what was called cyber to physical. That is, um, I, I hack into your electricity grid and I bring down the electricity grid in Los Angeles or Brisbane or, you know, or, um, or Edinburgh or whatever it might be. That used to be the nightmare. And that is, of course, still bad. And that, is a, and that has, of course, happened. The Russians have done that to Ukraine numerous times. And by the way, some of the malware which was installed in Ukraine is now also in U.S. electricity grids, just in case you didn't know that. But what has, what has turned out to be even more worrying than that, at least in the present time, is what I would call cyber to human. That is, operations which are carried out largely by way of networks of bots, which manage to change the climate of opinion very quickly so that humans end up doing things that they certainly weren't going to do otherwise. So a prime example of this in the last few weeks is this very bizarre release the memo moment, the release the memo hashtag, um, which starts in late January and then works for about 11 days and changes the world. Um, when this starts, no one's heard of the memo, right? No one has any idea what it is. This comes totally out of nowhere and it dominates political conversation for, for almost two weeks. Why is that important? Well, here's why. Because the, in the real world, right, in the three-dimensional world that we have to live in, in which we have to raise our children, in which the future will actually take place, the memo is nothing. It's a big nothing, right? In DC, they say a nothing burger. This is not even a nothing burger. There's no bun here. There's nothing. Um, all it says is one of the sources that the FBI investigation used is not perfect. Well, you know, <laughs> alert, uh, when you're doing a police investigation, use all kinds of different sources, and uh, many of them are not going to be perfect. The fact that one of your sources in a police investigation isn't entirely 100% correct is not an indictment of the police investigation. It just means the police have been doing their job collecting all kinds of different sources. In the case of the FBI investigation of Mr. Trump and his campaign, there are abundant sources and they all lead in, in the same direction. So the memo itself is nothing. There's no revelation in the memo. It's zilch. However, the campaign about the memo and the noise about the memo um, totally absorbs our political conversation for two weeks. That means that there are two weeks when Americans or the top of the American political system are doing nothing. They're doing zilch. They're talking about a nothing. That means that we're not having normal political conversations, right? We're having this completely useless discussion about release the memo or not. It means that for two weeks, we're not making any policy whatsoever. In other words, there is a change in the real world. The memo means nothing in the real world. But what happens in the real world is that government and we, to a large extent, cease to function. Um, we're not actually doing what we should be doing in the real world. So the release the memo thing is a really good example of how computational networks, of how, um, of how bots cooperating with bots, many of whom are linked back to Russia, can change the real world. Legislators um, were targeted hundreds of thousands of times on Twitter. Mr. Trump was targeted a million times on Twitter by precisely this, this hashtag of release the memo. This creates a sense that there are actually human beings out there demanding that this thing happen. Most of the time, there aren't, in fact, human beings demanding this. The news networks cover this as though it was a story. 
and then real people start to talk about it as though it's something real. All that's happening though is that um, cyber, cyber experts who have gamed the algorithms on Twitter have figured out how to make something trend. That's all that's happened, right? Nothing's happening that's real, and yet it's changing the real world. This is what I mean by cyber to human. Human beings are doing what the robots want them to do, rather than the other way around. This is also what I mean by becoming a cyber colony. If what happens in your politics is determined by somebody else's cyber warfare, right? If what happens in your own federal government, if what your president does at the end of the day is determined by somebody else's cyber warfare, you've not only lost the war, you're in the process of being colonized. The Parkland shootings, the shootings in Florida, um, the Parkland shooting in Florida is another example of how this plays itself out. Something happens in the real world. Um, people are, are senselessly killed. Young people are senselessly killed yet again in the United States, which reflects another general trend in the real world. We have tens of thousands of shootings every year, most of which are totally senseless, where um, we have far more than, than the, next, the next number of developed nations put together. Right? This is a phenomenon we shouldn't have. Something else which is true of the real world is that states that have stricter gun laws have fewer shootings than states that have um, looser gun laws. Right? This is all true. Another thing which is interesting about the real world is that the NRA, the lobby, the NRA lobby, uh, during the Trump campaign pursued relations with the Russian Federation, in particular pursued relations with a very curious Russian organization called the Right to Bear Arms, which is a Russian organization whose only purpose, right, whose only purpose is to spread guns and by extension gun violence in the United States. So the, all that the members of Right to Bear Arms do is they join the NRA and they talk about how Americans should have weapons. By no coincidence, in the Russian interference in the U.S. elections in 2016, one of the big themes was American gunslinger, that Americans should be afraid of terrorism, Americans should buy guns, and so on and so forth, right? So now the real world is blurring into cyber, and that's what happens. Something real happens, real people are killed, real people lose their lives, their families and their friends grieve, but immediately in the world of Russian cyber warfare, within 30 minutes, what happens is this real event is made unreal. All kinds of things emerge on, on the internet, um, some of them, many of them associated with bots controlled by Russia, which either A, say that the shooter um, was just a lone crazy person, B, uh, claim that the shooter was involved with groups that he wasn't involved in, what AP reports, by the way, is that he was involved with white nationalist groups, or C, claim that the whole event never happened and called a false flag operation. So those three means that he was just a crazy loner, um, that he belonged to terrorist groups to which he didn't belong, um, or that it never happened, those are all things that are, presumably by no coincidence, very comfortable for the American gun lobby. If you say that he's a crazed loner, which is the theme that Mr. Trump picked up from the internet, then what can you do? Um, if, you, if you say that he's falsely from the left or from the Muslims, that makes people angry at things which weren't actually concerned with the issue. If you say it was a false flag operation, if you say it never happened, which is just such an evil thing to claim, by the way, but we're talking about now the cold hand of the robots. They don't care about you. They don't care about the real world, right? They're not real. If you say it's a false flag operation, again, that's very comfortable for the gun lobby, very comfortable indeed. So um, this, the way the conversation takes place after a real event is heavily, heavily motivated or heavily influenced by 
unreality. And this then affects human beings, right? The message that Mr. Trump chose to tweet out was one of the themes that was, pro that was promoted precisely by Russian cyber. And we have to struggle then, right? I mean, this is in a way the point. We have to struggle after a basic human event, after the death of children. We have to struggle to stay in the real world um, because of things that are happening in the unreal world. So what could we do about this? I'm going to have a humanist moment, and then I'm going to have a, a, a techie moment. So if you're not into the humanism, um, if you're not into history and things like this, this will be a good time to have a sip of coffee. Then I'm going to do the techie part. So as a historian, which is how I look at all of this, I think, well, this is a bit like a colonization. This is a bit like an occupation. This is a little bit like what happened to France in 1940 and in the early 1940s. You lose a war. It takes you a while to realize that you've lost a war you normalize what's happened. The French in the 1940s, they didn't look at Vichy and say this is some kind of foreign government, they said this is ours. Um, it took a long time for the French to realize that something strange had happened. It took decades for the French to recover from the, the, the moral shame of collaboration. Indeed, they're still recovering from it. Our situation is a bit like that. We lost a war we didn't expect to lose. We prefer not to think about the fact that we lost. We, we prefer to think that what's happening is normal, and as we think that way, we normalize it, and then we don't notice the continuing costs, above all the continuing moral costs, of being occupied in this way. Right? So when I think historically, what I think is what you're doing now, whether you're buying into this now, or whether you're saying this is unusual and this is intolerable, that's going to have a great deal of influence on how you look at yourself years and decades from now. I would go so far as to say it's going to have a great deal of influence on how your children and grandchildren look at you, look at this, look at this moment. Like that's, 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 the, that's the historical sense of losing a war and being colonized. How quickly do you realize that it's, that it's not normal? Okay, that was the humanist part. Here comes the techie part. There are some things that are very simple that you can do about this. I mean, one of them is totally obvious, and it probably is more humanist than techie, and that is we should all be spending less time in front of screens. And we should be encouraging our, our elected officials to pay attention to real-world contact with the people who elect them rather than with fake contact with the cold hand of the robot. It just doesn't make sense in a democracy that the unreal votes of non-existent digital creatures matter more than the voices of the actual electorate. Right? Um, likewise, we need to be encouraging our elected officials to make sure that we have a public sphere um, and, not, and not simply this occupied realm of cyber warfare which is making all the decisions for us. Some people among our elected representatives understand what's happening, but many of them still don't and we need, I think we need to try to explain to them. In our own personal lives, aside from spending much less time on the internet and much less time getting involved in Twitter discussions with things that aren't real, um, there, are some, there are some little spins that one can apply, right? So there are, um, there are these kids out in Berkeley uh, who have developed this thing called Bot Check Me. If you haven't looked at it, have a look. If you don't know the reporter Shira Frankel, it's worth reading what she has written first at BuzzFeed and now she's at the New York Times. Just follow the things she's written for, for the last three years. Also, the Alliance for Securing Democracy has a dashboard which is called Hamilton 68. That helps to sort out which robots are Russian, and what story they're currently fixing upon. And that can help you get some distance on the current craze. Because very often it turns out that the thing we're crazy about in America on a given day, we're crazy about 
because Russian robots are driving us in that direction. And if you can just check, right, if you can just apply this sort of moment of mental hygiene or of cyber hygiene, that can give you some distance and remind you who you are, which is a citizen of a country, um, a country which lost a cyber war, a country which is being cyber colonized, but a country where there's still a great deal of hope to change things. But if we're going to change things, we have to get our minds around what's actually going on. One of the things which is going on is that we're becoming a cyber colony. Got to get our minds around that. Got to stop it. Thanks.